Welcome to the Aloha Friday podcast, coming from the Landsberg Law Office in the historic penthouse suite of the Executive Center in downtown Honolulu. Here we talk to the most interesting people we know, from current events to how they got to where they are to how they see the world. And now, your co-hosts of the Aloha Friday podcast, Marcus Landsberg and Naomi Cooper Christensen. Aloha, this is Marcus Landsberg with the Aloha Friday podcast, and I'm here joined today by my co-host, Naomi Cooper Christensen. Hey, Naomi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. And today, uh, you brought a friend to come meet us. Tell me who we're talking to today. Yes. So this is Dennis. Um, the reason why I thought he'd be really interesting is because he is a former special ops from the Marines, and I'm going to let him tell his own intro, but... He did mention there's a book that just came out. Um, it's called The Warriors of Anbar, and it's by Ed Darak. Is that, am I saying that correct? Yeah, Ed Darak. Yeah. Ed Darak. And this was actually about some of the missions that were untold by the Marines who were in Iraq and Afghanistan. And this is a little bit more of an of a intimate war story. So I wanted to get the inside scoop personally, because there's a lot of things that we don't know about this period that I thought we could get some light on. What do you think? Are you able to talk about it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Some other things I wanted to mention real quick before we just dive in. I wanted to hear about your metal bone or or piece, right? You have a, a piece that's been replaced? Yeah, actually... I have a heart metal neck <laughs> and uh, my lower spine as well. That's right. So I think it's safe to say this is a Wolverine in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and he is a really, a really charming person. Um, you would not think he had been through this much if you met him. He's a really nice guy. He's got kids. Um, he's got some really amazing work history. He actually worked in the White House for a while too, so... Let's hear it. Can you bring us back to this time and tell us about why you're in this book? Yeah. So uh, actually, going back to my my neck and back in Afghanistan on a previous deployment to this the events in this book, I was uh, injured by I get blown up twice actually in the same day. Wow. Um, yeah, by a, a rocket during a rocket attack. So I was reacting with my my Marines. And we were going to uh, head over to our headquarters to get uh, our radios re-encrypted so we can go out and find these folks. And right after we got packed up and ready to move out, uh, a round hit and blew me right off the top of my truck uh, as I was getting my Marines together. And that's when I cracked my neck. Didn't realize I had broken it. Um, So I just got in the truck and kept going. And then uh, before we got up to the headquarters, I remember looking back, checked on the Marines behind me. And as soon as I turned around, uh, another round landed right in front of our truck and like jerked our truck up. And that's when I cracked my lumbar spine into pieces. And I got the worst headache of my life at that time. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I imagine. Nice, nice good concussion for me. So, um, but after I came back, I, you know, I got, I got fixed up. Um, I got some titanium put in my neck. I got some two titanium rods, but my spine. Wow. And I had my shoulder reconstructed. So, uh, And what year was this? This was in 05 now. 
Okay. So, and so I know we were talking briefly that this took months to recover, right? You actually were bedridden for a while. Yeah. Uh, after they fixed my lower back, I, I actually had to kind of learn to walk again, which was, um, was difficult because you're, you're used to being able to do everything. And all of a sudden you can't even get up and go to the bathroom on your own. So, oh, um, wow. it takes its mental toll, but I, you know, I was definitely not going to just give up and let anything else beat me. So Good. They, told me I, they told me I wasn't going to go work out again too. So I proved them wrong in six months. I was like, I'm, I'm a stupid Marine. I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> 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 right. So. And, the, and this is what's so interesting. So we've had these conversations where Marines are really kind of the intense ones that just go in and they've done a lot of the kind of the nasty work and they're known for it. But what is not known is the personal toll that hits afterwards, right? Like we hear a lot of bragging stories, but we don't hear the hard stuff. And we don't hear what it's actually like to have to swallow a lot of the stuff that happens. And you were really open. Yeah. So I thought, I thought that maybe you could touch on that. Like what, what kind of recovery is that like mentally and emotionally besides the physical? Yeah, mentally, it's, um, I think that's probably the toughest part, honestly, uh, physically, physically, I mean, things hurt, but you expect that, uh, mentally, I don't think I was ready for not being able to walk again and, um, then having to figure it all out. And I think, and it wasn't, you're not recovering as fast as you want to, you, you know, you kind of just want to be up and going immediately. And that's not necessarily the case when you have, you know, major surgeries and, and, you know, and, and I was one of the better ones. We have, you know, I had a bunch of friends that, some didn't come back and some were missing parts mm. and things. So, um, but when I thought about them, I was able to you know, push myself. I'm like, I'm not going to give up because I have the ability to, to get better to a point where I can continue doing what I was doing. So that was, that was part of the push for me. And what but, were you doing though? Exactly. Cause I mean, we don't really know what you did and no one really knows what you guys did. And that's kind of why this book is out, right? What exactly was your mission? What was your job? What did you do? Yeah, so for, for me at the time, I was uh, an infantry unit leader. Uh, so I was leading platoons of Marines in combat, essentially. Uh, and I particularly had um, a platoon of heavy weapons Marines. So we carried the big machine guns and um, some smaller machine guns and um, basically you know, went around and hunted down bad guys. It's the, the, <laughs> the basis of it, uh, locate, close with, and destroy the enemy. So that, that's what we did. Um, and at that time, when, at, at, when was it, 06, 07, when we got to Iraq, it was, uh, it was flaring up. The country was flaring up again. And there was a lot of uh, people coming in through the Syrian border at the time, which now looking back, you saw what happened in Syria later. Um, it makes a lot more sense. But um, mm. they were coming across supporting um, the, the fighters out there in Iraq against us to, to clear, you know, the, the United States and the, the allies. So we were still just trying to make sure that people were able to, you know, vote and have, you know, some, some form of democracy in their own lives and government. So, right. um, you know, we're out there trying to make sure the police were able to do their job. There was a lot of corrupt places and, you know, we'd have to remove folks from, you know, some of the stations and, like how? Some, like like what kind of what do you what do you mean in terms of there was corruption and and what did you have to remove? Like those are the details. Well, that... well we'd find out that there's some of these police chiefs 
would be working directly with, you know, the enemy and Al Qaeda and stuff. Is and, that right? Yeah. And, you know, not all of them. We, there was definitely great, great people in the country, but um, okay. there's, you know, there'd be a few every now and then, and then we'd find out because there was also a lot of, um, I guess, infighting within the communities uh, mm. where, where people would use their, their power, uh, you know, police chief, if he didn't like somebody, he'd make people disappear, you know, by getting, getting a hold of his buddies in Al Qaeda or whatever. And um, we started, you know, talking with the community and learning about these events instead of just getting all of our information from one source. So, you know, mm. you're gathering intelligence the whole time because you're out there meeting and greeting people, um, trying to be friendly, you know, uh, and it's a counterinsurgency. So it's, it's really difficult because, you know, you don't know who's the bad guy on any given day. <laughs> um, so, but you're, you're out there trying to make friends with everybody and, um, you know, foster peace for these people. Uh, but you'll find out that there's a lot of people hindering it in different different ways that, you know, corrupt officials, police chiefs, mayors, uh, governors of regions and stuff like that. So that was really what was happening for the majority of what the, that book covers. Mm. But so during that period, I had also had my, sh- my left shoulder reconstructed. And that was actually probably the, one of the worst <laughs> recoveries because um, I realized I couldn't move my arm in any direction. I couldn't cough. It, it's like when you bruise ribs, if you've ever done that, mm. everything, everything hurts. And uh, so that one actually took me probably a year or more to fully recover from. And you and were still working during that? While it was recovering, you were still in there? I was, well, I was still working. But what happened was when the battalion, when this battalion in the book deployed, uh, this is another a unit that I, I went to from uh, the one that I was in in Afghanistan. Um, they deployed and I stayed back. I was the senior, senior guy in charge, um, yeah. of what they call the rear, the rear element. And it was primarily because they wanted somebody who had combat experience and, um, you know, knew, knew what was going to be happening over there and could take care of stuff in the rear. Uh, part of my task was also reaching out to families and, you know, trying to make sure that they're getting information and then, um, you have little gatherings and stuff like that whenever possible. But every day I'm on the phone with, you know, the command. And at that time, if you read the book, I think there's, you know, 180 or so Purple Hearts. Um, I think we lost 26 Marines and sailors during that, that single seven month deployment period. I'm sorry. And, to hear that. Yeah. And um, that's when things really got, really get more difficult for, for somebody that was in my position because a few of those people were, were really good friends of mine, people I'd go to barbecues with and, you know, have, have oh, a beer wow. with. And um, one occasion, um, I got a call in the middle of the night and, you know, they, they gave me the information and I had to go inform the family. So, you know, in the middle of the night, it's like 2.30 in the morning, I'm putting on my service uniform, calling up the chaplain and uh, a doctor. We always bring a doctor because... You never know how somebody's going to react, and um, ended up bringing the the senior commander for the unit above us, and you know we all went out there. And before we even get to the door, they saw us, and and they know they're screaming. Just starts happening, and there's you know, uh, my buddy's wife that I had to inform was pregnant at the time too. So it was it was just it was devastating for her, obviously. Um, at the same time, it was 
devastating for me and I'm trying to be straight faced and give the information and, and be helpful at the same time. But you know, you gotta be strong for them, but at the same time, yeah, he was still, it's your friend too. He was me. I was a good friend. So, you know, I I won't lie. I went back to the car and, you know, after I, I left the command, the commander and the other folks, like, you know, definitely had a little cry with myself because that's good to hear. How could you yeah, not? You, yeah, you can't. And that, unfortunately, that wasn't the only time that happened. Like I said, we lost about 26 folks on that, on that um, deployment. Not everybody was located here in Hawaii when it happened. So I, I didn't go to 26 different people's homes. But gotcha. for the injuries, too, if they were severe, I'd get calls and I'd have to call the families. And they could be wherever in the United States. And I, I remember getting yelled at and screamed at by families and I just, you know, I, I took it because I, you never know, like I said, you never know how somebody's going to react when you tell them something horrendous just happened to your child. So and they're not yelling at you. They're yelling at the world. I mean, you know, you're the they messenger. Are. They are. And, and, and a lot of the times when, you know, their, their loved one gets back and gets healed up somewhat, um, I was able to see those, those families and they, you know, they tell me and it felt good, but you know, at the time when you're dealing with it, you're dealing with them and the other 180 people that got hurt and the 26 people that died. And then you're thinking about all the stress of the families that you're trying to smile and tell them everything is going well over there, uh, you know, other than these bad events that just happened. It's, um, it takes a toll. And I, you know, I could see how, I can see how somebody like a, a, a priest or something could just be overwhelmed because they do stuff like that all the time. And who do they go to? I would, I mean, I would go to the chaplain to, to, to let it out. And, you know, they, you know, somebody like them, they don't, I don't know what their outlet is. Another a friend, I guess, but it's, um, yeah, it's very, it's a very intense thing. And it's not very usual for, you know, for folks like, uh, like Naomi said, it's not really usual for, you know, Marines, warriors in general to, to discuss these things i guess it gets looked down upon by you know our, our fellow buddies they always give you you know give you some ribbon for it but the reality is that changing is, now or is that still sort of the code is that you make fun of people for having feelings um it seems I don't like mean to it's, say that in a disrespectful way no 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 it seems like it's been changing um but i and i i see a lot more support uh, across the board as far as the services and people communicating but there's the stigma is still kind of there. Gotcha. But I think at the end of the day, when, you know, when you're done ribbing your buddy, everybody's, everybody understands that they probably have the same feelings and that's my buddy. If he's not good to go in the head, then this is, this isn't a good thing for all of us. (laughs) Is Is it no one's allowed to make fun of my brother except for me? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. You don't fuck with him. I get to. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why Marines are always in bar fights, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, is that something that you've calmed down in? Are you still having bar fights? I'm I'm way past the the bar fight phase. Right? Yeah. Don't admit to anything. Yeah. yeah. Not yet? Not yet. Never admit. Never admit. (laughs) Yeah, I think after this this phase of my career, I definitely had a, a change of uh, ruckusness as far as my attitude towards things, uh, for sure. 
Uh, I mean, I later went on to go lead more groups and stuff, but, um, and I, I probably put the, put the show on to make them think I was still some crazy, you know, hardcore guy. But <laughs> at, at the end of the day, I had feelings and, you know, I think about what this is doing to them. <laughs> right. Well, and this is why I thought it was so great to have Dennis talk because he was very open about how he had to actually do a lot of work to just get it off his plate. Right. I mean, you had so much built up from this time. This is actually the peak of it. You were in the the peak of, of this war that was new, that no one really knew what was going on. Right. And especially with, um, especially with all the secrecy, I mean, I, I know how you, you said your, your spying skills are awesome, right? Because you did a lot of spying. I mean, you had a lot of secrets that you had to keep. Yeah. I mean, half of what we do, you, you really, you don't get to communicate some of the things you do. Um, like, like you mentioned, I was out doing reconnaissance missions a lot, just gathering information on people and targets and things like that. And, um, it's just, it's just you out there trying not to get found <laughs> basically. And, you know, <laughs> um, gather the information. Uh, I, I think I told Naomi as well that, that, so um, that movie Lone Survivor, I was in the unit and we actually came up with that mission, which was um, Operation Red Wings. So all the events that happened around that, I mean, that's kind of similar to what we're, some of the stuff I've done before where you're, you know, in a hide basically watching and gathering information on somebody. And, you know, unfortunately those, those guys got found and, you know, went to hell really quick. Um, but yeah, I was, yeah unfortunately attached to that event as well. And so how does somebody get through this? Like, what is your advice for families who, or, or friends who end up, you know, taking on all of the baggage that comes with a veteran like you, like, what do you do with you when you come back home to, to your family and, or to friends, or are you trying to start a new family and trying to start a new relationship with somebody? They don't understand the baggage that you're carrying and they don't know how to process you know, your, your, your detachment issues and you've just buried, you know, 20 of your best friend's bodies, right? How, how do you do yeah. that? That's, I think that's where talking and talking about things and communicating is the most important piece. You, you have mm. to, let, you have to make sure that the other person understands to some degree that you know, probably never understand it entirely, but to some degree, you know, what you done seen and are feeling and how it's you know it's not something that just goes away overnight you know it's like a lot of us have problems sleeping because you know we'd be over there and you're always on you know high alert essentially in your mind you're just waiting for the next thing to happen and you know wow coming back when i, I remember the first time i came back from a combat uh, zone i was like watching every piece of trash in the road because you know, they put IEDs and everything over there. So you never know what's going to blow up. And, you know, people are looking at you like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> so, yeah, I have to, yeah, I had to start explaining. And then I realized um, this is something that, you know, we need to talk. We need to talk a lot more. So there was a lot of talking with us uh, in our platoons, you know, the Marines and sailors in general that I worked with. Um, but I don't think we were doing a lot of talk outward to, to other people to spread 
information about what we were what we were dealing with. And now it's changed. This was obviously earlier in the war. There's a lot more awareness, which is which is a good thing. Um, good. But you know, there's definitely there's definitely room for more knowledge out there uh, for it to be spread for sure. Right. And and you said you'd always wanted to be in the Marines, though. Is that correct? You'd always wanted to as a kid or something? Or uh, I always knew I was going to be in the military since okay. you know, my, my dad is was right? in the Air Force. Yeah, I, I just thought it was going to happen. And the year he put his retirement papers into the Air Force was the year I enlisted. When, <laughs> the day I turned 17, I enlisted in the Marines. Wow. And so how did this career path lead you to, I mean, you ended up working in the White House. Was that just out of luck or was this something that you also wanted to do? Was this, I want to work something else besides what I've been doing. So when I retired, I took a, what they call an early retirement that came out a couple years ago when they're doing a drawdown of the force. Um, so I took the early retirement or, you know, I was offered it and I took it and um, I had recruited for a period in the Marines. So I was like, you know, what skill sets do I have when I get out here? And me looking as a general, you know, warfighting guy, I thought I can go shoot people or I can go recruit. And I was like, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of room for much work I can get, you know, out here. So I think, I guess I'm just going to go with recruiting. I obviously wasn't thinking about all the management and leadership skills I, I learned or whatever, but um, so, so I got into recruiting uh, right away, um, worked at a, a fairly large organization and um, they sent me back to Hawaii, which was which was great. And I started to learn about technical recruiting, uh, which is something I wanted to do. Which is, is, that, is, that, right? is that when I met you? Was that was that during that time? Yeah, actually, I was. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that I was. That was two thousand. What year was that? Two thousand fourteen. Like, okay. Thirteen so or fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thirteen or fourteen. But yeah, I started learning technical uh, recruiting because I wanted to learn about you know the computer side of things. I figured that's the future, right? <laughs> so. Um, I started doing that and then I got an offer to go to Booz Allen. Um, mm. So I went to Booz Allen because they were paying much more. Oh, and uh, Yeah, it was a great company. And uh, I, I understood a lot of what they were doing because they did a lot of military work. So mm-hmm. I was able to okay. go in there and pick up, you know, what they were doing. And I was still doing technical recruiting for them as well. So yeah, it worked out really well. It was very weird because it was shortly after the Snowden incident. And he was Ooh. out here at the Booz Allen in Hawaii, right? So every day there was there was like journalists at the door, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. Please don't talk to me. Um, <laughs> it eventually became a thing where I'm like, you must speak to the publicist. Well, I had like a whole line. Wow. <laughs> but um, wow. yeah. So I was working there, and then one night I was watching. Um, I can't remember the name of that movie. That movie with uh, Owen Wilson about Google. Um, the internship. Oh, the intern. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it and I thought, wow, that looks like a great place. That would be like the ultimate technical recruiting place to go work. So on a whim from watching this movie, I applied <laughs> online and um, somebody actually called me back. I was like, what? This is crazy. Get out. I'm, yeah, I'm living in Ever Beach and I'm doing a, um, a hangouts interview <laughs> for Google. Is that right? And looking at all the cool stuff in the background, you know, while they're doing the interview. Um, and then I get an offer. So I'm like moving to California. <laughs> so went out to Google, uh, worked there and at Nest, which is one of their companies as well. And I got I uh, got a phone call about, uh, you know, something about the president. 
And I hung up. I was like, whatever. This is one of my <laughs> marine buddies screwing around again. <laughs> and, then, and then I have this guy show up later. And it's, um, it's the, uh, the chief uh, technical officer of the United States. Oh, wow. <laughs> and well, I'm you like, can't cheat that one. Yeah, yeah I'm like, this guy looks kind of familiar. Why do I know? He, yeah. you know, he started a few healthcare companies that are doing very well right now. Um, <laughs> and so I started chatting with him. He said, yeah, you know, you hung up on the president or whatever. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're kidding me. Oh, man, I felt so bad. And then, uh, you know, next thing you know, we're, I'm taking a job. You know, the president's like, come, come serve the country again. I'm like, wow. Yeah, I, I really, I never really asked how they or why they chose me or whatever. Um, but I, I did after talking for a while, I found out that they, they did want somebody with uh, experience in the government, but also had experience with you know modern technology and stuff mm. like that. So mm. I went to the White House <clears throat> to build the United States Digital Service. Which, wow! If you're familiar with healthcare.gov, that thing did not work right away, and the people that came <laughs> in and saved it were the people that were the initial team for the U.S. Digital Service. So I worked with all of them. Wow. Um, building the team, we started with like 12 people or something. And before the Obama administration ended, the goal was to hit 200. So before election day that year, uh, 2016, we made it to like 230. Wow. And yeah, it was, it was really great. And um, so we made, made the numbers and <laughs> then the election happened and you know, the numbers shifted a little bit after that, but um, <laughs> I, I, I stuck around for a few more months. Things changed kind of rapidly uh, at, at the White House. So I, uh, I left and I went back to Silicon Valley and I got a job with Adobe. We all, you know, use, wow. yeah, we use, you know, PDFs and stuff all the time. Um, so I started working there and I actually was brought on to uh, create a diversity program. So I uh, was, you know, bringing in more ladies, uh, which they're all geniuses out there. Oh, um, so you were helping to even the playing field a little bit. Good for you. Yes. Yeah. The, Good. the divide in, in the tech sector is pretty horrible. And I realized really quickly, especially at the White House, um, when I was hiring all these women, to come up there, the, the women engineers were just so, they were great because engineers in general are all great, but some of them, just, they don't, have, their people skills need work, but <laughs> it seemed like the women, they had the people skills and the genius. And I was like, you guys are so awesome. <laughs> uh, I mean, the women engineers have to deal with the guys with no people skills. <laughs> exactly. That's, and that's but, probably exactly why they're so perfect. <laughs> for them to succeed, they have to actually overcome. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So oh my goodness. that's an amazing arc to go from basically knowing it's 17. It looks like I'm going to join the military. That's what I'm built for to, yeah. Now helping expand the technical world for females, helping uh, kick the door open for women. Right? Yeah. From so, kicking the door open in Afghanistan to kicking the door open for women in tech. It's, and, yeah. and doing it with, uh, you know, Wolverine uh, background. I mean, you got, you got this metal plate in you. Wow. Yeah. Well, I tried I, to get the claws. They wouldn't do it. So. I know. I mean, <laughs> So, so I'm, I'm desperate to read the book. I haven't had time, but I definitely want to read the book and it's now available everywhere, right? They just released it in November. Yes. 
Okay. Okay. So we're coming to an end of our, of our time frame, but that was amazing. I think you definitely, um, you definitely have some interesting stories and I think you need a book on your own. I think we need to go further than just what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan, but it's a good place to start. But I definitely think, um, you have opened the door in terms of communication. And I think you said what was really vital to so many veterans that are wanting to change their life and, you know, reconnect that look, you did it. You did it successfully and not just that, but now you work with women all the time. That's like the dream job for every Marine, right? They want to just (laughs) talk to women all the time. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yes. That was amazing. And so if people want to find you, you're, you're mostly on Facebook uh, yeah, or, you can find me. I'm actually on Instagram. That's Instagram? Okay. Yeah. Are you still under secret alias name or do you have, like, can I, you open up your name? I or, am, uh, but I, I plan on opening it up. I've had a bunch eventually? of people ask me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So eventually we can give out your, your Instagram name, but until then, are you, are you able to introduce your full name publicly, who you are and how they can find you? Can they email you? How can they get hold of you? Oh yeah. So I'm Dennis Gilbert and, um, Actually, if you if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just look for the picture of me and President Obama making shaka, and <laughs> um, it's got my contact information there. So awesome, awesome. awesome. Well, thanks, Dennis. We appreciate your time, and uh, it's a pleasure getting to know you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right, and one more time, it's Warriors of Anbar. That's yes. it. All right. Well, thank you.